sets the addicts free. Your blood makes all things new. Your blood, God, has caused us to be reconciled back to our Father. Your blood has made us into new creatures. God, we praise you for the reality and the superiority of your kingdom which has come into us. Father, you're so beautiful. You're so kind. You're so amazing. Would you open up our eyes today, Lord, even more? Would you open up our hearts even more? Would you open up our minds, Lord, even more so that we can perceive and comprehend more of your goodness? God, I'm asking that every one of us today, Lord, would come away a step closer to you, or maybe more, but a minimum of a step. Father, I'm praying that the, that the proximity of your Holy Spirit within us, Lord God, would just, just grow. Father, I pray for a closeness with you. I pray that today, Lord, we would see more of you in your kingdom. And I ask this in Jesus' name. I pray you'd anoint my mouth, Lord, that I'd be a good communicator today of what you're already speaking and what you're already doing. Lord, I just ask that we would be able to receive from you by your Holy Spirit through your word as we communicate today. In Jesus' name I ask. Amen? Amen. All right. Hallelujah. I want to talk to you today about salt and light. We've been on a journey together, um, and Jason, about actually a couple weeks ago, he kicked off talking about contrast communities. And uh, I, I love that term, contrast communities, something that is in contrast with something else. You see the two together, they're mixed in, but you see one distinctly from the other one. Jesus summarized that as salt and light, and that's what I want to talk about today. Matthew 5, 13 through 16 says this. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You're the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. I want to start with salt. You're the salt of the earth. What is Jesus talking about here? Well, first of all, in, in the day that Jesus was in, the first thing is that salt, it, let me just tell you right now, salt actually is absolutely necessary for life. We are filled with salt. When you, when you, have you ever cried and tasted a tear? What's it taste like? Yeah, you know why that is? Because it actually has salt in it. Have you ever tasted blood? You know, you cut your finger, mm, ouch. What's it taste like? You know why? There's salt in it. This is deep stuff. Try to, try to keep up. <laughs> we are absolutely unable to live without salt. What salt does is it actually causes, by osmosis, osmosis, it pulls liquid out of the cell. It actually pulls it out so that you can access what's inside of the cell. It keeps your cells healthy. It causes you to be able to function. Life is not possible without salt. Would you just say that? Life is not possible without salt. Okay, this is key. So Jesus just said, you are the salt of the earth. Life is not possible without you. That's the first thing, okay? The second thing about salt is that salt, <coughs> excuse me, 
Uh, so first of all, life's not possible without salt. The second thing is that salt can do is it preserves things in their state. It preserves food. In Jesus' day and time, salt was the main preservative. They didn't have refrigeration, so you had to pack things in salt. And what salt does in order to preserve things is it actually draws the moisture away from the food. And what it does is it keeps the environment around the food from being able to produce and maintain bacteria. And that's how it works as a preservative. It makes it to where there's not an atmosphere or a culture around the food or the thing that it's being preserved that is, that is what's the word, conducive to bacteria growing. I'm going to think of bacteria. How many, I, I'm gonna, we're talking about bad bacteria here, so I'm going to say it creates an atmosphere where evil cannot proliferate. Wickedness cannot abound where salt is because salt creates an environment in which wickedness cannot grow. Isn't that interesting? All right. The other thing is that salt does, it's a disinfectant. You've all heard of the term, don't rub salt in my wounds. Well, it's because it hurts like crazy. It hurts when you rub salt in your wounds. But why would anybody have think of that? Well, because you actually did at one time rub salt in wounds because it actually disinfects that area of the body. And it's the same thing. It actually, it goes in and it draws it away and it creates an environment where infection cannot grow. So it's a disinfectant. If you have a if you have a wound, you, you actually do want to rub salt in that wound. The wounds of society need to have salt rubbed in them. And you are the salt of the earth. You guys with me so far? All right. The last thing is, is salt's a seasoning. It's delicious. Salt is delicious. How many of you have eaten, if you eat meat, a piece of meat with no salt on it? Mmm. Wow. Thank you. I won't name any names, but uh, I've eaten in some households where apparently salt is of the darkness or something, and so there's very little of it in the food, and you're just like, I, I probably take food way too seriously, but nonetheless, it, how, how exciting it is it when you sit down and you eat a delicious, bland, terrible, not delicious meal without salt. You've all experienced this, right? Where, and, it's smell, and it's smelling good, like, oh, that's going to be good, and then they hand it to you, and you're like, Oh, do you, do you have any salt? Oh, we don't eat salt here. It's very bad for you. I've been doing a lot of research on salt for this. It turns out salt is actually not bad for you. Go figure. Bible says salt's good for you. World says salt's bad for you. Who wins? I'm saying God. He made us. And in fact, I won't even, I could go into a whole aside, but here's the good news. Studies show salt is not bad for you. All right? Just make sure you're eating good salt. I'll let you study that on your own. But here's the reality. Salt is good for you. You need it to live. You need it to disinfect. You need it to preserve. And salt is absolutely necessary in order for life to go on. So Jesus is saying, you are the salt of the earth. Now, then he goes on to say, but what if the salt loses its seasoning? What if it loses its flavor? What if it, in King James Version, loses its savor? Then what is it good for? It's then good for nothing, Jesus says, but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Now, I was thinking about this. Jesus was so not politically correct. Have you guys noticed this? If you read the Bible, it turns out he was not as hung up on being politically correct as America is in its current state. He was very unpolitically correct. This seems almost a little bit harsh. You're the salt of the earth, unless you're not salty, and then you're good for nothing but to be trampled under the feet of men. Let us pray. (laughs) 
You know, I mean, I love it. That's some salt in your wounds. He's like, you know what? That thing is infected. Let's get some salt. And you're like, ah! He's like, I know it burns, but you want it to burn now or you want to die later? Which is it? I love you too much to stop rubbing salt in your wounds. Okay? Trampled under the feet of men. This is really an interesting um, point that he makes. Now, what does it mean to be trampled under the feet of men? Remember what we're talking about. We're talking about you're the salt of the earth. You're here preserving, disinfecting, bringing life, and bringing flavor to the culture of which you were a part. And we're talking about being a contrast community. We're talking about contrasting the culture. We're bringing different cultural values into the earth and actually bringing life. It functions because we're here. I don't know if you guys have noticed, but the culture... Well, let me make this point, and then I'm going to get back and make this sub-point. Here's the point. When we do not live as salt, we actually get trampled under the feet of men. You ever heard of a little thing called humanism? It's men doing whatever they want. And when we're not salty any longer, we end up trampled under the feet, the momentum of the culture, because we have become just like the culture. Isn't that interesting? I think Jesus was pretty smart. I think maybe he understood the time that he lived in, and he understands the time that we live in. Wouldn't you agree? How many of you know, well, I'm going to get, I'm gonna, let me not get ahead of myself. Let me, let, me, let me stay on track with myself. I'm going to go to this next scripture. You're the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Okay. We just talked about salt, which is absolutely necessary to live. Now, light, and they're doing more and more studies, which is amazing, and finding everything is made actually out of light. Yeah, that just blows my mind. So when God said, let there be light, and there was light, but he hadn't created the sun and the moon yet, he actually created everything because everything's made of light. You're made of light. We're made out of photons. It's just unbelievable. Unbelievable. So here we are, made of light. He's saying, you're the light of the world. Now, don't be hidden. You don't light a light and then put it under a basket. What is the basket that he's talking about? Why is he telling us this? Why is he saying, you're the light of the world, but you don't take that light and put it under a basket? What is the basket? The basket is the culture itself. The basket is the darkness that's in the hearts of men and women who are still deceived by the evil one. You see, things are very black and white when it comes to the kingdom of heaven. And in the sense of this, before Christ, you are dead. After Christ, you are alive. Before Christ, you are in darkness. After Christ, you are light. There's no middle ground here. We all come from death into light. Now, Jesus, being the brilliant Savior and big brother that he is, is teaching us and saying, listen, you're the light of the world, but don't allow your light to be under the basket. What is the basket? The basket is the ways of this world. It's the culture of this world. If there's no discernible difference between us and the world, our light is under a basket. We are thereby now no longer good for anything except to be trampled by the momentum and the reality and the wisdom of this age. You see how that works? So when Jason was talking about contrast communities, how we deal with sex and power 
and money, thank you, I guess I always put power and money together, but anyway, how we deal with that has to be different than the way the world deals with it, or there is no contrast. We're just the same. We just have a different demigod that we call on the name. Think for a moment about the philosophies of this age, okay? The main philosophy of this age is actually humanism. It's this idea that all ideas are equal and that preeminent to all other things is my independence. I am beholden to no one, and my ideas are just as equal as your ideas. Now, on its surface, that sounds like wisdom, because it's like, well, we got to make room for people to think. We just don't want this big group think happening, right? We don't just want to become a cult, and one person makes, has all the ideas, and all the other people say, as saith the shepherd, so say the sheep. We're not talking about that. We're talking about the truth that Jesus Christ created the earth, and God the Father is the creator, and because he created all things, he has defined and determined reality. And that definition of reality is the only definition. It's not an idea made up by man. It's not something that pastors or teachers or apostles or prophets or evangelists came up with. It's something that God himself created and determined. This is reality. All ideas that are not this idea are not equal. They're just bad ideas. Are you guys tracking? Now, we live in a, in a culture that believes in moral relativism. What is moral relativism? It means that you do your thing, and I will do my thing. You believe what you want to believe, and I will believe what I want to believe, and they'll both be true. One of the main tenets of moral relativism is that nothing is absolutely true. Are you absolutely sure? Now, you have the mind of Christ, so when somebody tells you, listen, how dare you assume that you have absolute truth? That is so rude. Nothing is absolutely true. As a Christian, you go, you just undermined your own intellectual integrity by saying that nothing is absolutely true because you just made an absolute statement with a presupposition that nothing is true you're a hypocrite and an idiot. <laughs> I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just putting a little salt in that wound. Like, if you believe that, then you're not allowed to speak anymore, lest you offend someone else's not absolutely truthness with your absolutes. Right? It's dumb that it's funny, but it's sad because it's one of the main tenets of moral relativism. I get to choose what is right or wrong, and I am beholden to no one for the outcome of that belief, whether it's a good idea or not. Because of that moral relativism, we then get to decide such things as, okay, Jesus said this, you were once darkness, and now you are? Okay, so there's a difference. Do you understand that darkness can only produce death? Let me go one further. Do you understand that a culture outside of having salt and light can only produce death? Let me unpack that a little bit. In America right now, one of the greatest things that is celebrated right now is choice. And what does choice mean? 
It means freedom, true, that's true. But when you hear the word choice, I have freedom of choice, what does that mean? Most often that means a baby's going to die. Isn't that interesting? When you hear the words freedom of choice, I'm defending my right to kill my own child. What an interesting cultural phenomenon. What an interesting atmosphere devoid of life in that situation. Celebrating my right to destroy my child. Yes. Praise humanism. Praise the kingdom of darkness and the freedom that it brings me. This is my temple, and I will kill or, or keep whatever I so desire as the Lord of this temple. Behold the tenants of humanism. Behold the tenants of the kingdom of darkness. Join me in this freedom. But we who are in the light, we look at that and we say, what are you thinking? How, how, come, how come this life doesn't get a choice in this? What? Wait a minute, why would you do that? I don't understand. Wait a minute, you're saying you have the freedom to choose for your own body this thing that you created? And now you, because you created it, you can kill it? Well, wait a minute, if, if it's alive, how come it doesn't at least have the same amount of life choices that you do? I mean, okay, fine, let's just say it's a bad situation. How come you couldn't at least give it nine months? Give it nine months and then give it to someone else. Do you know how I many people are waiting to adopt? You know, wh- where, where is that tenant in this in this kingdom of brilliance that you speak to me of, okay? Now, what's my point? My point is that a culture devoid of the king always produces death. Because we have the freedom to choose what is most right and most valuable based on our moral relativism, then we also have the freedom to decide who is and who isn't a good producing citizen of this state. And so therefore, if you're in too much pain or maybe you've just gotten really depressed or maybe you're just old and can't really carry your weight anymore, well, we support your right to take yourself out of the community, to take your heritage out of the family, to take away the, the idea that your life is valuable and you can end it. Because you know what? If we're going to kill you before you're born, we might as well kill you before things get to be too much of a bummer. So we celebrate your right to euthanize yourself. And in fact, there really kind of comes a point where you're just drawing a little bit too much on the system. You know, I mean, we appreciated it when you were young. That was awesome. You were doing some things. You were paying your taxes. But now you cost too much. And you're just kind of taken. It would probably be a better climate impact if your carbon-using life wasn't sucking the system and leaving all these carbon footprints. One less carbon footprint would be good for our mother, the earth. And so, therefore, we champion you returning back to the earth from where you came. Take this pill good job, we celebrate death again. Isn't that scary? It's just disgusting. It's just disgusting. But what am, what's my point? That part of culture, that thought among culture, is not seasoned with light or salt. 
And therefore, it can only, when, when taken out to its, to its complete end, it can only create death. Does this make sense? Now, here's the great news. Y'all are salt and light. That is really good news. There is salt and light present. So, if that's the case, if that's the case, it sounds to me like Jesus was pretty specific here that we can't lose our flavor. And we can't allow our light to be put under a basket. So then, what does that look like? Right? What does that look like? In real time, what does that look like? How many of you here agree with this concept that we need to be salt and light? All right? How many, I mean, this is just true, right? You're lining up, you're saying, that's, that's, that makes sense, okay? And I don't have to twist your arm to believe that we don't celebrate death, right? I mean, are you guys with me here? We're celebrating the life that God's given us. In fact, Jesus said, I give you life and life abundantly. But what does this look like in real time? How does this actually have an effect when he says, make sure that you don't lose your flavor? How again will it be seasoned if you don't lose your flavor? Otherwise, you're going to be trampled under the the, the momentum and the footprints and the values of the culture around you. And we just realized that when you you look at this, now, I want to just qualify a statement here, okay? I'm speaking in absolutes because there are only two kingdoms that are present on this earth, the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God values life and righteousness and mercy and love. The kingdom of darkness values my own desires and needs, and ultimately the word says this, that those who are in darkness have been blinded by Satan. That's why in this world you can hear silly things like there are absolutely no moral absolutes. That's why people can say that and they actually believe it. Let's agree to disagree. Well, I'm already there. I already disagree. I don't... That was my own joke, apparently. That's funny to me. Let's agree to disagree. Okay. I tried again. Nothing. Fine. Moving on. There's a foolishness that, that happens because the people are blinded by the evil one. Now, the, the qualifying statement is this. We love everybody. I'm not saying you should go out and be like, you're dark in the kingdom of darkness, you killer of people. You want to do horrible things. and you know, No, no, no. You're coming and saying, do you know? Have you ever heard the gospel? Have you ever heard that you have a father and he loves you? I have great news for you. You are beloved in my Father's eyes and heart, and He wants you to know Him. And He is desperately in love with you. And He has already, if you will accept His love, already made a provision so you can be reconciled with Him right now and begin to see a kingdom that you didn't even know existed yet. Okay, that's, that's how we react to people who are in darkness, Okay. But in this living room, we need to talk about some of these things and say, listen, the people who are in darkness are victims. They're being blinded by the evil one. But we're not going to help them by blending in to where there's not even a discernible difference between us and them. Then what kind of good news are you? I can get along with everyone. 
Well, that's what the darkness is preaching. Just get along with everyone. Let me go further. How do we contrast in the community? There's two things that I want to talk about today. The first one is we have to stay salty. What does that look like? Jesus came not to be served. I talked about the, the main tenet, right, of, of the kingdom of darkness is my own personal choice and I am beholden to no one, which will always lead to death, all right? It will create death in culture. It creates an atmosphere that is very favorable towards death and tyranny, okay? The kingdom of heaven creates a culture that's favorable towards life and life abundantly because it has a king. How do I stay salty in order to establish the kingdom on earth? Two things. The first one is service. When Jesus came, He said, I come not to be served, but to serve, and so shall you. And when he, and in this scripture too, it says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. It's interesting, he doesn't say they will hear your good words and glorify your Father in heaven. Now don't, I'm not going to go too far because he does go on to say, preach the gospel wherever you go. So I'm not saying we silently become this really great, you know, NGO that just does good things. We do actually talk about the kingdom of heaven, but the qualifier for us is that we are actually doing good things. Not so that people will think that we're good people, but because we actually are good people. That was a great point, see? Service is absolutely profound. When we serve our neighbors, when we serve one another, When we serve our city, we are given the keys to the city. It's a really interesting phenomenon that when I come to serve, I become the most sought-after person in my sphere. When I come to try to take authority, I become very quickly the least-liked person in my sphere. In real time, the way that it looks for us to be salt and light in our workplace is that you are the most service-oriented person anywhere around you. When something comes up, you're the one that volunteers to take care of it. When somebody needs something handled, you're the one that handles it. When the ball gets dropped, You're the one that takes responsibility for what happened and are looking actively to find a solution for it. In the world, we try to always minimize our part, our failures, our mistakes. In the kingdom, we own the mistake and simply say, here's the solution I'm working on. In the world, we try to proudly present all of our accomplishments to be rewarded. In the kingdom, we serve to see that everyone is able to accomplish what we're trying to do together. This seems really simple, and it's because it is. But my point is this. This salt and this light, this is how we 
change the community from within simply by serving. As a tribe, we're, we're serving in the mission. As a tribe, we have two people who are serving in the city council. As a tribe, we have people who are serving in the schools. As a tribe, we have people who are working in their jobs. As a tribe, we have business owners who are serving the community. As a tribe, we have fathers and sons and mothers and daughters who are serving in their own families and being a blessing. Now, the potency of the gospel of Jesus Christ to change a culture actually comes through its ability to serve. There's an intentionality that has to be the hallmark of our lives. And that intentionality is through service. We must purpose in our hearts that we will serve God in intentional ways by serving our neighbors. It's the absolute stark difference from from the world. The world does have an altruistic value system that's happening, but even even those things, you got to remember America was founded a few hundred years ago and was founded on thousands of years of the church moving and the kingdom growing. We formed a government based on having a nation whose God is the Lord. Our laws support those who are already in the kingdom. It allows freedom and liberty for those who are already living in freedom and liberty. You see what I'm saying? So within that culture, there are a lot of people who are still in the kingdom of darkness, but they're familiar with the kingdom in the area of generosity. And they understand that that works, and so they've engaged in that, okay? There is a generosity about America that's incredible that's coming from the momentum of the kingdom values that have already been established. Are you guys tracking with me? But those values came from somewhere. So it's not a matter of, oh, well, how is this, much, how is this any different than what the culture's doing? I guess that's what I'm trying to say. We might say, well, but there's lots of great nonprofits out there that have nothing to do with the kingdom. I would say those nonprofits have learned this value system from the kingdom. They're benefiting from the momentum of what God has done in the nations. Okay? So they understand that, but it's an altruism and it's still not the fullness of the kingdom. The reason why I think this is important to make this statement is because I don't want any of us to believe like, well, People are already doing that, and that's not really bringing the kingdom. And I want us to understand, no, those things are being done because of the kingdom that is still moving. This is in response to actually thousands of years of the kingdom's movement. Does that make sense? But we cannot then begin to live unintentional lives and coast and reap the seeds that have been sown by thousands of years of other believers and not plant any new seeds ourselves, We have to be planting seeds of service now. We have to be living intentional lives now. And that affects us in real time. How will I serve? How will I engage in my culture to meet the needs that are put before me? How am I engaging to make sure that in every sphere that I'm connected with, I'm seeing salt and light being released through my actions? We are to be the hardest working employees at our job. 
It gives glory unto the Lord. It brings life. It creates profit. It creates blessing. And it creates community. Because we are the most connected to those around us. We're serving those that are near us. People will know us to say, go and talk. Go and talk to Roger because he is absolutely honest. I have never seen that man cheat anyone. If he says it's what it is, it's what it is. If he says he'll deliver by this time, he'll deliver by this time. And if he doesn't get it on time because something comes up, he'll make it right. Why? Because he's salt. Because he lives by a system that is greater than this world. These practical pieces, as an employee, when we come in, we're not thinking, well, I'm not going to help my boss because you know what? He's an idiot. And the last thing he needs to be is, re- is rewarded for being an idiot. So I'm not going to make him look good, and then he gets a big bonus because I'm over here busting my hump, and he's sitting at his desk. That is the culture of the world. Your job is to say, my boss is definitely morally challenged. He is motivationally challenged, and he is gratitude challenged. But I am salt and light, and I'm going to serve this man And in fact, I'm going to so serve him that he will see my good works and begin to have to glorify my Father in heaven, even though he doesn't even like my Father in heaven. But he won't be able to deny that if he wants to count on somebody, that somebody is me. You know, Daniel served Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was not a great man. Daniel made three kings look like geniuses, and not one of them was righteous. We are called to make everyone around us look like a genius, not because we're so dumb, but because we're so amazing. Is this making sense? See, everything that you're doing counts. You are preserving the culture. You are creating life. We must show by the virtue of how much better we live that Christ is, in fact, the Lord. We are the ones that can forgive We are the ones that can give. We are the ones that can serve. We are the ones that do not hold grudges. We are the ones that keep our word even to our own hurt. We are the ones that will go and talk to a fellow brother or sister when they offend us because we want to win them back, not because we want to win an argument. Are you tracking with me? So, serve. In everything that you do, you serve. If you seek to serve the city, they will give you authority. If you seek to take authority, you won't get it. Now, I commend you as a people because I do see so many of us serving. But I challenge us as a people that we must be intentional. We cannot think of service as an afterthought after I've done everything to build my own personal kingdom. You know, oh, I serve at the mission. Praise God that you serve at the mission. What? I don't know how many hours are in a week. Anybody out here know how many hours are in a week? 168 hours in a week? Okay. I serve at the mission. Awesome. What do you do for the other 162 hours? You see what I'm saying? I honor you for serving at the mission. But the, but the answer that we want to say is, I serve Jesus. I serve my wife. I serve my children. I serve my boss. I serve my fellow brothers and sisters in my church. I serve in my church. 
I serve at the city council. I serve wherever I go. One of those places that I serve happens to be at the mission. In this culture right now, one of the things that is touted is volunteerism. Again, it's a carryover from the kingdom, and there's, it's okay for what it is. But patting myself on the back for volunteering a couple hours a week is a whole lot different than taking my clothes off, wrapping a towel around me, and washing someone's feet, and then giving my life on the cross so that everyone else can live. And Jesus said, you too, take up your cross and follow me. It's a lifestyle. Does that make sense? So I, I want you to hear this. I'm honoring us all for what we're doing. I'm just saying service is not an add-on after we've done all the things that we really care about. Does that make sense? All right, so I have one other thing. And I can wrap this up in 10 minutes because I'm serving you. You'll have to hold me to that. Just be like, eh. They wanted to keep the scoreboard. We took the scoreboard out. You just got the, eh. I struck that idea down out of wisdom. 1 Corinthians 3, 16 through 20. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person, for God's temple is sacred, and you together are that temple. I'm going to go back here. You yourselves are God's temple, and God's spirit dwells in your midst. We're talking about being a contrast community. One of the key things we do is we serve in everything that we do. We're salt and light by serving. We're also salt and light by being together. I want you to imagine, if you will, someone says, may I have some salt, please? And I reach into my pocket, and I pull out a salt. And I give it to them, and they put it upon their steak, and they thoroughly don't enjoy that steak. Because I handed them a salt. Okay? You are a salt. Together, we are salt. Or, boink. Okay? Your boink by yourself. Are you picturing this? Okay. How much good can one boink do? Not much. But salt, you are the salt of the earth. Together we are salt. This is interesting. He says, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? He does not say, don't you know you? And you go back to the, to the Greek, it's plural. So I just checked because a couple different translations actually have singular, made it singular. It's not singular. It's us. We are God's temple. He's not saying, Jason, you are God's temple, and you contain the Spirit of God all by yourself, and you need no one. That is a value of the kingdom of darkness. You and you alone. I did it my way, Right? You just decide what you want to do. You work on your personal plan. You work your personal strategy for your personal gain. And you decide your personal moral views. And the world applauds you because they're deceived by the dark one who knows that that leads to death and hates you. Right? Now, here's the interesting thing. We live in a culture that celebrates, they call it diversity. We celebrate diversity in this culture, but they've stolen a kingdom word 
and made it mean something else, which means we celebrate rugged independence. Do whatever you want as long as it's what you want to do and as long as you don't tell me what I have to do until we run out of money and then we'll be happy to tax you. Um, You do whatever you want and I'll do whatever I want. It's moral relativism. It's complete and utter independence. Now here's Here's, here it comes. You ready for the salt in your wounds? Because we live in that culture, we have to guard our own saltiness against this rogue philosophy that says, I am beholden to no one but God alone. And I'm talking about in an unhealthy way. Because you know what? God didn't say you're beholden only to me. He said, do you not know your body is not your own? It belongs to the Lord. And you belong one to another. Submit yourselves one to another. Why? Because you are together the temple of God. Not by yourself. You are boink by yourself. You are easily deceived by yourself. You are easily destroyed by yourself. And you cannot stand by yourself. If you are standing in your heart, in your mind, in your life, in your philosophy, in your relationship with God as an independent player, a lone ranger, you are currently being destroyed. You are currently being undermined. You are currently being trampled under the foot of man. And you are currently ascribing to the philosophy and the wisdom of this age. Are you enjoying this? You see, we're standing in stark contrast to the culture by being an intentional community. By submitting ourselves one to another. This culture submits to no one. We submit to God and to each other. That is a huge contrast. We are together filled with the Spirit of God. If anyone destroys God's temple, this is some strong words, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred, and you together are are that temple. Did you catch this? If anyone destroys God's temple, who's the temple? Yes. God will destroy that person. He's taking this pretty seriously, okay? In other words, he's saying, listen, this is really vital that the salt and light, the temple that my spirit dwells in is not to be destroyed. And we together are that temple. What destroys that temple? The philosophies and the culture of this day that says rugged individualism is where it's at. You make your own choices. There's there's an interesting thing we often say. You know, what I really believe is, now that sounds so innocuous, doesn't it? What does this scripture mean to you, Lord of the universe, definer of what scriptures mean? Isn't that that tricky? Tell me, what does this scripture mean to you? It's, It's so sweet and cute and filled with darkness because what the real question must be asked is, how will you respond to the Lord? How will you respond to what God has written to us? That's the real question, not how will you define truth? Do you catch that? That same spirit comes and says, how do you like to follow Jesus? Do you like to do it on your own? You like a particular kind of praise, special kind of music? Do you come every six weeks when it feels convenient? Do you meet with people if they're exactly like you? 
Good for you. No, that's the culture of this world. That's you determining how you will live. And God says, I have called you to myself. Your life is not your own. And you're salt and light. And here's what salt and light looks like. And the scripture is filled with what salt and light looks like. So what's my point today? I've got to wrap this up. There's two things. One, salt and light serves. And two, salt and light gathers together to encourage, to exhort, to hear the word preached, to worship the Lord, to challenge one another. We gather corporately and we gather in small groups together. Why? Because iron sharpens iron. Why? Because salt must remain salty. Why? Because if we don't, we become like the culture. There isn't another option. It isn't like, well, I'm going to take the the aesthetic go up in a mountain in a monastery forever option. Well, you might be salty out in that mountain somewhere, but the world will never know. You are completely removed from helping anybody. Now, I'm, I'm, for those of you that are going, well, wait a minute, monasteries were really important. They were really important. There was a time when the apostate church was trying to kill everyone who believed in the real Jesus. And they actually preserved the Bible for a time. So I'm, there was a moment when that was really important. There were people were removed and they were protecting, honestly, the church. They were the church. They were together. I'm not judging that. But I am saying that our rugged individualism is a cultural value of this world. And we have to stand in contrast, it by choosing, in contrast to it by choosing to live in community by choosing to allow other people access into our life, to challenge the beliefs that we have. So that when we say things like, well, what this scripture means to me is, then they say, well, that sounds a little uh, like you're the Lord of the universe. And I'm, I'm kind of wondering if you are. No, I'm not. You're not the Lord of the universe. I want to challenge your presupposition because I love you, right? How many of you have ever been deceived? Those of you that haven't raised your hand are deceived right now. Um, we've all been deceived. We really have. We've all had a time when we got tricked. We, we all have. And, and how did you get untricked? Most of the time, it was a brother or sister or friend that told you the truth. Said, listen, seriously, I know the salesman told you that you look, woo, in those white spandex, but you don't. You don't at all. You look, ooh, not woo, okay? A brother or sister that loved you rubbed some salt in that wound and said, don't do it. Don't do it, right? We need each other. We are together, the temple. I love this. I'm going to end with this scripture. Do not deceive yourselves. If any of you think you're wise by the standard of this age, you should become fools, quote unquote, so that you may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. And we can be absolutely sure of that. As it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the, that the thoughts of the wise are futile. Now, he's talking about people who are in darkness come up with silly things like, one thing we absolutely know, there's no absolute truth. Moral relativism works. You go your way and I'll go my way and we'll both end up at the same destination. Do people believe this? Yes. Yes, because it's the wisdom of this world. But we are not of that world. 
And so we gather together as a community and we travel together. We touch base with one another. We pray with one another. We're intentional about how we live in service and in gathering. In the next three months, starting the second month of September, we're going to go on a journey together. And rather than saying, as we, as we read the word, rather than saying, well, this is what this scripture has always meant to me, we're going to say, Lord, how will we respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ and to the teachings of the apostles? How, Lord, are we in relationship to your kingdom? How must we respond? Where am I and where do I need to be? Lord, have I lost my savor? Does anyone else even know that I'm a Christian? Does anyone else, does anyone else look at my life and think you're amazing? Or have I lost that ability because I've become just like the culture? I'm no longer light. I've got it under the basket of the culture. Or I'm no longer salty. I'm being trampled under the footsteps of those whose approval I desire. And so what we're going to do is we're going to, as a church, we're going to read through, in three months, we're going to read through the entire New Testament together. And we're going to meet in homes, and we're going to talk about what must I do in light of of what Jesus Christ has spoken to us through the Holy Spirit, through the Scriptures. And Jason and I are going are gonna to tag team through it. We're going to take three months together. We have several leaders, and I want you to be thinking about that. We're going to give opportunity to figure out where you want to meet. We're going to meet on Wednesday nights. But we're going to say, Lord, how must we respond that we could be salt and light? And uh, the, the youth group is synergizing with us. It's going to be awesome. They're going to be going through some things. Of course, they already meet on Wednesday nights, so not a big change there. Um, but, but we're going to go together and we're going to let the Lord calibrate us to the kingdom so that we can truly be a contrast community. I'd like to ask the prayer servant team to come up. If you have any sickness in your body, if you have any sadness in your heart, or if you have not become a part of this kingdom, please come forward, get prayed for. Receive Christ as your Savior and turn your life over Him to become a part of this kingdom. Today is, is the day. Today is the day. And I just want to thank you guys for all of the incredible service that you are bringing, for the incredible faithfulness that you walk in, for the love that is in your heart. And my prayer is, Lord, let it increase. Amen? Amen. All right, you guys are dismissed. Have a fantastic week.